This is Joe Polizzi, author of The Will to Die, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing fields of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you some time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers and industrial companies to help them grow by helping them earn the attention and trust of their prospective customers. For more, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. This episode is sponsored by David Merriman Scott's phenomenal New Marketing Mastery course that he developed with Tony Robbins. New Marketing Mastery will teach you step-by-step how to get your marketing in alignment with the way your customers want to buy. David spent three years putting together over 50 videos, dozens of infographics and worksheets, and a 50-page workbook to get your marketing to generate a lot more sales. And even nicer, Marketing Book Podcast listeners will get $500 off by entering promo code marketing book. To sign up, go to newmarketingmastery.com, but make sure to enter promo code marketing book for that $500 off. You can find a short video about the course and a link to it in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome back Joe Polizzi to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his newest book, The Will to Die. Joe Polizzi is the Amazon best-selling author of Killing Marketing, Content Inc., and Epic Content Marketing, which was named a must-read business book by Fortune Magazine, and I have interviewed Joe about all three of those on the Marketing Book Podcast. Joe has founded three companies, including the Content Marketing Institute, and has launched dozens of events, including Content Marketing World. He is the co-host of the This Old Marketing Podcast with Robert Rose, and he is the author of The Random Newsletter, delivered to thousands every two weeks. His foundation, The Orange Effect, delivers speech therapy and technology services to children in over 25 states. And interesting fact, he took a bucket list trip to Sicily with his father and met 60 of his cousins for the first time time. Joe, congratulations on the will to die and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, I can't thank you enough for having me. And I know this is a little strange because not your normal fare with right. what we're going to talk about today. But I, d- I do have to ask, how many people have been on more than I have on your wonderful podcast? Uh, let's see, I think two or three. So John Jantz has been on, so I, I should explain for the listener and for you, Joe, uh, there will be a special induction ceremony after this interview because <laughs> you are now entering a very exclusive club, the Marketing Book Podcast Four Timers Club. 
And uh, in that is John Jantz. He's been on four times. And I will have uh, interviewed David Merriman Scott. He'll be on four times. His newest book is Fanocracy. Uh, And then Mark Schaefer, uh, when this publishes, he will have been on five times, and Rohit Bhargava has been on four times, but he's also on the first of every year to talk about his uh, trends book. But you have really, you're up in uh, pretty rarefied air there, Mr. Polizzi. Well, first off, I'm going to add this to my bio, because that's very important. <laughs> Second, right. it's always Schaefer. Schaefer always one-ups me. And oh. see, now I got to write another book as quickly as possible, because Please. this is insane. And now- so. In doing my careful research for this interview, I did see that there was another one of these thrillers uh, coming up. Maybe? Well, we're just launching The Will to Die. My hope is, I'm actually, I've already started writing the next book of the series. So the plan is to, the main characters, you know, is Will Pollitt, and I'm I'm planning on uh, creating the Will Pollitt series. I really enjoyed writing fiction after my five nonfiction business books. And so we'll see. I mean, if it's a stinker though, Douglas, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to I'll probably just <laughs> hang them up and say, I gave it a shot, but if, well, it, if it goes pretty well, it seems to be going well so far. I'm going to, I'm going to stay in the game and see how long I could last. Well, you, you got my vote, but back to the marketing book podcast for us, Timers Club, just so you know, it, it's, it's first off, it's very exclusive, but also you will be getting discounts for any of the Sandusky, Ohio Taco Bells. <laughs> oh no yeah no that i mean this is a treat this that, is something you know these are like measurable outcomes these are things that yeah the sandusky ohio taco bells and i'm working on getting some uh, pizza hut things now you live in cleveland but the story is based in sandusky and we're going to talk about that but so that the listener understands i have to disclose that joe polizzi sits way high atop the douglas burdett man crush list and I can prove it. And this is why Joe has given a lot of thought to putting out a restraining order against me. A few years ago, Joe was speaking at the inbound conference in Boston. And I knew that Joe was going to be speaking there. I had his book, Epic Content Marketing, which I had read. I put it in my suitcase, flew to Boston to go to the conference just so I could get him to autograph it. And I went and I communicated with you on Twitter, and I had to go, gosh, it must have been a mile away to get to where I knew you were going to be at that moment. It was a mile away. Yeah, they (laughs) had me in the depths. Yeah, Big convention center, and I got there, and I said, you know, would you please autograph this book? I'm such a fan. I I love the book. And that's where I met you, and you can't really get rid of me now. So, you know, that's that's why I'm saying I've, uh, I'm a big Joe Polizzi fan, and I'm I'm one of of many, many folks out there. So that's why, for me, you coming back on was, was, was such a treat. Well, I remember that speech, actually, because you were standing in the back, and I'm like, what do I do? Uh, I don't know if, if I need to find a safe zone or something like yeah. that. No, it was it was wonderful meeting you in person. It's just, it's nice that we've uh, been friends all these years now, and you've been nice enough to have me on your wonderful show. And I do want some kind, I mean, besides the Taco Bell, I do want some kind of a memento yeah. for the four-timer, oh, soon to be five-timer next year. We'll it's worry coming about your it. way. and. Yeah, I'm seriously. I, there may be some Pizza Hut and KFC <laughs> discounts in there. I know there your you sons go. are your sons are teenagers. Trust me, they're going to love that stuff. Oh, so, they'll love it all. Absolutely. Yeah. So for the listener, for you, dear listener, yes, we're talking to you. We're going to do two big favors for you. <laughs> One is Joe has written a thriller, and a protagonist is a, a guy that owns a marketing agency, and we're not going to spoil it and tell you exactly what happens in the end. 
And the other thing we're going to do is if we have time, I'd like to touch on a few of the laws of content marketing that Joe spoke about at the last Content Marketing uh, World in his keynote where he talked about this, the seven laws that are going to make you successful now and 10 years from now in, in content marketing. So, Joe, I just have to say, this pushed me, you know, like, like so many of the books, I learn a lot, but I have an admission to make. This is the first audiobook I've ever <laughs> listened to. Oh my gosh, I, that's a first ever? Like, first ever. ever. I've never listened to an audiobook before and uh, was happy to do it. And what people should know, though, is uh, this is free on iTunes right now, uh, as I understand it, and, and the other platforms until the hard copy goes on sale in 2020. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. It's so it, it's free for basically three, four months until we launch the ebook on March 4th. And then the print version comes out in June. And so we're from a publishing strategy at a marketing strategy, we're doing everything completely backwards. And I'm happy to get into some of that. <laughs> right. But, yes. You know, it's yeah, it's everything. And, and you know this, you know this better than anyone else. Most authors publish exactly the same way. I mean, there's some, there's some little things here and there that you can do, influencer strategy, building your audience, but mostly it's the same old thing that you do, whether you publish with a traditional publishing company or you do it uh, by yourself. And I looked at all this and I didn't understand why. There, I mean, a few people have used this strategy when launching a, a, an initial book in a, to a new audience, but not many. And I thought the best way to break down any barriers was, okay, first of all, let's give this thing away for free because I'm trying to build an audience here. I had an audience in marketing, but I don't have one in the fiction, thriller, mystery crowd. So let's get rid of those barriers and, and we'll do it that way. And the second thing is, I think that we'll see how this works out, Douglas, but I think a lot of authors make a mistake by launching every platform the same way at the same time. Mm. So basically, we're launching we're launching audio, we're launching ebook. Uh, Kindle version, and we're launching print all at the same time. And I, and this is what I teach uh, to any of my clients when we talk about marketing strategies and content marketing specifically. Focus on one that you can be the best at for that particular time, and put all your energy into that. And then once you do that, then you can move on to another content type. So I said, well, I better. I mean, this is the advice that I give out. I better follow it for my own book. So I decided we're going to start with audio because audio is the only one I could give actually give out for free. Mm -hmm. Can't do print, costs money. Uh, can't do you can't use Amazon. They won't allow you to do it. You got to charge at least ninety nine cents. And I'm mm. like, okay, well, that's not going to work. I could do audio because I didn't distribute it on Audible. I could use the podcast platform, so you can get it as you said on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, all of them. So I could give it away for free, and you know, we'll see how it goes. So far, uh, it's going fairly well, and uh, it's it's really easy for people to spread the word because they're like, hey, this thing's free. Might as well try it. That's <laughs> why so I mentioned it. And, and even if folks aren't ready to listen to it right now, please, if you're driving, please pull over. Uh, <laughs> download it now on your uh, on your phone or whatever. Uh, even if you're not ready to listen to it, because it's going to be they're going to be charging for it later. Yeah. So basically, you got three, four months. You got till March of 2020. Okay. And and then uh, so that's how we're going to do it. And and we'll see. And what I love about it, just from an analytics standpoint, Douglas, is. I can see in real time the people that are downloading it, and I can see which chapters I lose them or don't or whatever the case is. And I'm, I'm learning a ton in the process just about you know reader engagement just yes. because I can see it real time. It reminds me of this book called uh, Content Inc. where 
<laughs> it, it, seriously, no, I know this sounds crazy, but I, there, there's this guy who wrote a book like this. And he talks about how you build the audience first, and the audience is going to tell you, either directly or indirectly, what they want more of, what the problem is, that sort of thing. Am I yeah, right? It's, it's a In little fact, bit like there was that. a guy. There was a guy <laughs> with the same name. Strategy. Same guy. Same uh, had the same name as you. Um, maybe it was one of your cousins over in, in Sicily. But he. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. It was you. You guys talked about you started the Content Marketing Institute doing one thing, and then over time, uh, after you built an audience, people were saying, you know what, we really want is training and events. I think you were more of a content matchmaking service That's in the correct. early days. Yeah. And then That's people right. said, this is really what we need. And you, like so many other examples, Content Marketing Institute, like so many other <laughs> examples in the book, like Copyblogger and GoPro, they, uh, and I guess even uh, Red Bull, they, they looked That's at right. what their audience said and said, oh, oh, okay, well, we, we didn't get that quite right, but thank you for telling us. <laughs> and you then have all this feedback from your audience that in years past, companies would have paid a fortune to get. And I think that's absolutely right. And the other thing is when, when you're creating content in any platform, it takes a lot, as you know, it takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of time. You not only have to create the content, you have to spend a lot more time and energy in marketing that content. And if you're launching more than one thing at the same time, you're pretty much going to fail. I mean, if you look at any of the stats, and I've, as you know, I talk about this in Content Inc. and Killing Marketing, we've looked at thousands of different case studies. Almost every successful content marketing organization or any successful media company, they've started by doing one thing really well. New York Times started the newsletter or the newspaper. Uh, if you look at Red Bull, they started with Red Bulletin Magazine. Copyblogger started with their blog. So did CMI. And Entrepreneur on Fire started with a podcast. You have your podcast. You know, you just you focus on doing one thing really, really well. And then once you build that audience, then you can diversify. It's just sad that most companies say, hey, because we have all these channels, we should be creating content on them. Well, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's when you fail and just become great at one thing. And, and that's all we're trying to do here. Yeah, it reminds me of a term I read in one of Nick Westergaard's book called a Checklist Marketing. Check the list. That's right. <laughs> do yeah, everything. <laughs> Get that Snapchat strategy squared away for your uh, you know, industrial boiler company. Uh, one, one other thing I want to mention, though, is uh, years, a few years ago, I, I had the high honor of interviewing Robert Cialdini about his book, uh, Presuasion. And he's the author of what I believe is the still the best-selling business book on Amazon called Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. And it's been mentioned in so many other books. And he introduced me to this concept called the driveway song. And I had never heard of it. Maybe you have. But I, he, he said this, he was telling me what his favorite driveway songs are. And I said, well, wait a minute, what's a driveway song? And he said, that's where you drive home and a particular song is on the radio and you stay in the driveway until the song is over because you like it that much. Mm -hmm. Joe Polizzi, <clears throat> I, I'm afraid that happened to me. I was, <laughs> I was listening to this in the car. I was listening to it. I was working out, doing other things, you know, like I listened to a podcast. But I, a couple times I pulled into the driveway and just sat there, <laughs> turned the car off because I had to listen to the end of that chapter. And then, and now I'm on to you. Then I had to listen to the next chapter. <laughs> so, oh, man. That is a very high compliment. Thank you. I so, mean, if I could wish for one thing, it's, it's that, you know, people engage with it like, like you know, it's, it's, it's so it's so challenging going out and doing something that you've never done before. And that's yeah. what I did with this, 
fiction novel, which is just, which is a crazy thing. After I've been I've been a marketer for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. And just you know, on the you know, was able to to take the you know, sabbat full year sabbatical in two thousand eighteen, and and one of the things that came out of that was writing this thing, and it's just it's been an amazing ride. So thank well, you. I'm for glad that. you did, and I also should say that uh, my wife's name is Pam, and I noticed you dedicated the book to Pam, and I I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> Yes, did you tell her? Does she know that it's dedicated I, to her? Yeah, so. I told her, and I and I told her about this uh, book and um and and how uh, it was dedicated to her, and she said back to me, "You have a podcast." <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, I probably should say. So, so I have a Pam. Pam is my wife for over twenty years now. Oh wait a and, minute. Oh. Oh, not what? not a little little different, Pam. There, just okay. so I don't want to surprise you. <laughs> oh, thank but you. The, the it's it was really amazing how this thing came about because I I'd always wanted my wife to read one of my books. So I, as we've talked about, I've I've written or co-written five different books, and she's only read the acknowledgments page of every book. She's never read any more. Not interested at all. Doesn't care at all about what I write for marketing. Is truly bored by it. And I was in 2018. I'm like, well, what do I need to do to get her to read something that yeah. I write? Yeah, you know, Joe, yeah. I've been married 28 years, and isn't it amazing what guys will do just to try to get their wife's attention? <laughs> I think we're gonna <laughs> well, make this it. Was the, this was this was beyond the call of duty. I don't know if I had to go this uh, this much into it, but yeah, I did. I I wrote it for her. I, I, she loves thrillers and mysteries. Mm. And I said, let me give it a crack. And, and that's how, the, you know, that's how the whole thing started initially was I really just want my wife to read something that I write, <laughs> that I write right. and, and not just the acknowledgement page. Well, you know, uh, she seems to point you in the right direction, uh, and not just on this. So, uh, uh thank you to, uh, Pam for that. So, as I said, I'm very concerned about being a spoiler. So, Joe, tell us what you can about this thriller. And there is a couple questions I want to ask, at least uh, as it relates to the beginning. Sure. So, basically, it's the tale of a murder in a small town. Um, The main character's name is Will Pollitt. Will is, of course, a marketing professional, a little bit down on his luck. He's he's got a, a, a lot of things going on in his life that aren't going very well. And he goes into a pitch, and we can talk about some of that, but he goes into a marketing pitch to a a large beverage company in Cleveland, Ohio. And right after that pitch, he finds out his father passes away. And from that moment on, he drives to Sandusky, where his father was a funeral director, and ends up inheriting the business. And while he's figuring out the business and learning about what his father went through and all the things that go along with the funeral business, he starts to find there's some concerning things going on in the city. And uh, people are basically um, showing up dead where they shouldn't be dead. And uh, he starts digging a little bit further and uncovers this vast conspiracy uh, that goes on throughout the book, and and I guess you'll have to find out the rest. But it goes on and on for eighty six thousand words, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was eighty, and the actor that was hired to do it uh, did a, a great oh, job. Oh, thank you. I got a, a shout out to Kyle Tate. Kyle is an amazing a voice actor, and it, you know it's funny. I actually tried to read the book myself. I'm like, I can do this, and then I read a chapter and sounded just hideous. Because I read, I read the other audiobooks for my marketing books, but it's different when you're reading 
nonfiction versus, versus fiction. And yeah. Kyle, Kyle did, just did a tremendous job. And that was a, a really smart decision that I outsourced that. Yes. So, Joe, you are from Sandusky, Ohio, originally, where the, the book is based. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So, when I hear the name Sandusky, Ohio, I'm immediately reminded of one of the greatest films in the American film catalog. I'm talking about Tommy Boy. Of course and, you are. Yes. And I, I'm just wondering how the producers of the movie Tommy Boy are feeling about now having a book based in Sandusky that might become even more associated with Sandusky than their movie. I mean, I'm, they must be unsettled. Well, and, and as you know, I mentioned... Uh, Tommy Boy in the book, and that uh, people in Sandusky are are wearing their Callahan Auto T-shirts uh-huh. all over the place, and uh, I I actually I think that Sandusky needs more attention than just what Tommy Boy. And to, by the way, Tommy Boy, great movie, loved it. I, I was wonderful that it was set in Sandusky, but you know that's my hometown, and I it was fun to bring. You know, I'm sure maybe not all the people in Sandusky. Uh, are happy because it, of course, it's a murder story in Sandusky, but a lot of the people in it are very, very good people, and uh, it was fun talking about that and going through all the detail from from my hometown. So basically, from a location standpoint, it starts in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, and moves to Sandusky, and then everywhere in between as as they're going. And it was it's interesting. I use a lot of the street names and things, and of course, make fictional uh, a lot of the places there. But yeah, it was. Tommy Boy, you've got company, is basically all I need to say. Having watched Tommy Boy, oh, maybe a hundred times, and (laughs) having listened very closely to this, uh, first off, I'm a Sandusky, Ohio fan, and I haven't even been there. But I was just wondering if like the mayor or certain people are upset at you, because this is, this has everything in it, crime and all kinds of things like that, that makes people in Sandusky uh, feel bad. But I I think that it it all... uh, I guess it'll all come out. But yeah, people, I think in in the end, it's going to be okay. But I wouldn't be surprised if if we heard some negative feedback. Yeah. Uh, And whatever. I mean, I want to here. I'll give you a really good example of this. And I don't maybe I don't want to go straight too far away, but I read a lot of thriller books and I cannot stand it when a thriller writer uses. I know exactly the city they're talking about and they talk about the street names or whatever, and they call it a different name. There's no need to do that anymore. You don't have to do that. You can call it what it is. And so I think, you know, just call it what it is. Just And I, I think ultimately, I mean, people from Sandusky might not believe this right now, but I actually think it's good marketing for the city. I right. Mean, when you read this book, I think that you'll want to go to Cedar Point, the greatest amusement park on the planet, and you'll want to visit Sandusky, Ohio, in mm-hmm. my opinion. So. Yes, and I and that was in the book also, and I remember I knew about Cedar Point. I'd read about that, I think, even in one of Jay Bear's books, and uh, I, I've heard about the, the roller coasters there and all that sort of thing. So uh, now Sandusky is very much uh, on my mental map. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about David Merriman Scott's new marketing mastery course and a very generous discount he's offering to Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Two books have had the biggest impact on my marketing career, and one of them is David Merriman Scott's The New Rules of Marketing and PR. Naturally, I'm a big fan of David Merriman Scott, which is why he was the very first guest on the Marketing Book Podcast and why he's returned several times. His new marketing mastery course, Three Years in the Making, in collaboration with Tony Robbins, teaches you step-by-step the most important aspects of modern marketing so that your marketing can drive dramatically better 
sales results. Many of the mistakes I see companies make in their marketing can be avoided by following what's recommended in this comprehensive course. The new Marketing Mastery course has over 50 videos, over 25 infographics and worksheets, and a 50-page workbook that gives you step-by-step instructions on topics like buyer personas, content, social media, and building a business growth plan. Now, you can continue spending money having a good time going to marketing conferences or hiring consultants, but for a lot less, you can get this course implement what he teaches, and start seeing measurable results. And your whole team can use it, which is why it's a great way to train your marketing team, particularly new hires. The knowledge you can get from the latest edition of the New Rules of Marketing and PR is why I continue to recommend it as the one book to help people get a better handle on what they need to understand about modern marketing and the modern buyer. Now, With this course, you can learn how to turn that knowledge into action. The secret to getting ahead is getting started. For you to get started, go to newmarketingmastery.com and enter the promo code MARKETINGBOOK to get $500 off the price. Go to newmarketingmastery.com and make sure to enter promo code MARKETINGBOOK to get $500 off. I also have a video about the course and a link to it in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now back to the show. Now, let me mention one thing, though, about that, where you talk about the, the names and uh, also making the transition from marketing to uh, becoming a, a, a novelist. So when I was in uh, New York many years ago, I worked at the J. Walter Thompson ad agency when I first started out, and there was a creative director there. And I was in the training program. There must have been about 40 of us there. And, you know, every month or every couple of weeks, a different person from one of the different departments would come down and do a session with us. And one day, the creative director came down, and he was going to talk about creative and the importance of that in advertising and all that sort of thing. But at the beginning of his talk, he said, okay, so I'm going to talk to you about creative, and I'm also going to tell you how to make a million dollars in advertising by the time you're 30. So we were all under the age of 30, so we were quite keen on that, and he really kept our attention as only a creative director could. So he finished up his uh, comments, maybe about a half an hour, and several of the people in the training program said, oh, wait, 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 what about that million dollars? How, how do we make a million dollars in uh, advertising by the time we're 30? And he said, oh, write trashy novels on the side. <laughs> That's that, fantastic. That creative director was a guy named Jim Patterson, who is now known as James Patterson. Are you The novelist. Me? Yes. No way. Yeah. It's the greatest story ever. So he, he did it, and I know you can do it. So uh, I'm thinking there's uh, quite a bit ahead here. But let's talk about that as it relates to Joe Polizzi. Why did you suddenly decide, or why did you decide to write a novel instead of another content marketing book? What, where, how, how did this uh, fork in the road happen? Well, it's a, a, outside of the you know the whole thing where I did I did want to write it for my wife. First of all, I mean you know this better than I do. I mean I don't know how you do it. There are a lot of marketing and business books out right now, and they they are coming out in droves. And I read a lot of them. And I would you know I'm trying to be nice here. A lot of them say the exact same thing. Let's just be realistic. They say the exact same thing, maybe a little bit different. They tweak it a little bit, but it's the exact same thing. So I'm like, if I'm going to write another marketing and business book, it needs to be something completely new. That's what I like. I thought that like Content Inc., for example, I thought it was a completely new concept. I don't think anybody talked about it that way before. 
I was inspired to write that. I was inspired to do the research. I don't think there's anything out there right now that I would have the expertise or the the passion to go after from a business standpoint. And I wanted, I really wanted to challenge myself creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to try. I didn't know Douglas if I could do it. I honestly didn't know if I could do it. And when I started writing it in January of 2018, I almost proved myself right because it was horrible. I mean, the stuff that I started writing was terrible. I got a couple early reviewers and they were like, Joe, you, you might just want to give up now. Go back to the, to the nonfiction stuff. And it took me, let's see, from January, it took me till October to get out of whatever you want to call it, writer's block or whatever challenges I was going through to start to write. And I finally realized, you know, instead of writing an outline, which I used to do or doing blog posts and, and piecing them together and making sense out of something, I just had to get in front of the compu- computer and write. Mm. And every day, just uh, I just basically said, okay, today my goal is to write 500 words. And the first day I did that, they were 500 horrible words. The next day I wrote 500 equally horrible words. The next day after that, it was getting a little bit better. And then by a week, I, I sort of found my groove. And from the early October to January 21st, that's when 2019, that's when the manuscript was done. I just got on a roll. And it, I, the weirdest thing is, I would come up to my computer and my office is, is upstairs at our, in our house. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to write today. And this is what I'm going to write about. And I start writing. And then I come downstairs, talk to my wife, Pam, and I give her the update. And I'm like, you'll never believe what this character did today. And she's like, it's like, you didn't know. I was like, no, I had no clue. I had no idea. That's the difference oh. with fiction versus nonfiction with fiction you start telling the story and things just happen and you allow yourself that liberty to just let the story tell itself instead of forcing the issue. And when you're in non in your writing business, you know exactly what you're going to talk about. Not so with fiction writing. Yes, and it makes me wonder or marvel at authors where, like even in your uh, book, where you mentioned something at the very beginning and then it comes up again at the very end. It's like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> There's no way you thought, you know, you just wonder how that, how that got connected and how, you know, when, when all, so many loose ends get tied up. Uh, well, I, I have an answer for that too, Douglas. It's called editing. <laughs> the editing process is very important because as I did the, the initial manuscript and then gave it to my editor and then my proofreader and then a review team, there were a lot of dates and streets and things that didn't match up. Okay. And that's why, just like any book, you really need a good editor because it's, it's really tough because, I mean, if you write something in October that really has to fit in with something you write in January, you forget. <laughs> I had notes. I had notes all over my desk trying to figure out what these characters are doing and where they come from and why they're doing it and, you know, bringing it together. That's why you need a really good review team. Yeah. So you mentioned that you just sat down and started writing and it brought to mind the uh, notion, uh, I think it was a quote from Hemingway, said, there's no, there's no secret about writing. You just sit down with the typewriter and bleed. <laughs> But you, the secret to getting ahead is getting started, and uh, that seems to be such a block, such a hindrance, because you know we all want things to be perfect. And it also brings to mind the quote from Anne Handley, author of Everybody Writes, which is, barf up a first draft. I can't tell you how many times that quote of hers comes to mind when I'm just 
barfing up a first check. If you just get the clay on the table, then you can start spinning it oh. <laughs> and turning no, it into something. That's so true. And I, I mentioned that the, the book is 86,000 words. It's eight hours exactly in audio time. Oh, really? uh, the, initial, the initial draft was almost 110,000 words. My goodness. I didn't so realize that's I spent eight hours. Of, yeah. That's a lot of cutting. And by the way, this is just good marketing, content marketing practice. I mean, basically, you're, you're cutting 25%. You should cut at 25% anything you write anyways. I didn't know if it held true for uh, fiction writing, but it obviously does because I cut 25% of the book. Yeah. So I've heard you say that in doing this thriller that you have learned how to market again. Talk about that. When you're marketing yourself and your own product, it's so much different than it feels so much different than when you're marketing for a business. And it was interesting when it's, when we started Content Marketing Institute, started it. Uh, you know, you, you you basically talked about it. We started with a blog. We delivered that blog consistently over time. Uh, we had to be very patient. And 20 months or so later, we had a, a a rabid audience, and then we were able to build products like Content Marketing World off of it. And with this one, I had to go back to the drawing board, board Douglas, and, and say, well, I, I'm basically starting at zero. I have nothing. There's no, I, I don't even have an audience because I they don't know me for this. They only know me for marketing. So I'm trying to figure out how do I get this thing going? And it's funny because I have the checklist of things that have to happen. And I started basically the marketing process back in May. So do the math on that. So seven months ago from the seven months before launch. I'm already working on marketing this thing and how I can make sure that it's successful. And that's what, by the way, a lot of, as you know, a lot of authors don't do that. They don't, I mean, I really, you need, you need at least four to six months of runway, I think, to market a book properly. So here I am six months out trying to figure out, okay, how does my website need to read now? How do I start building an audience right now so that in six months it all makes sense for them to get the book and and how do I how do I uh, whittle in certain things here and there to my marketing audience so they know that I'm going to do this fiction thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I worked it backward. I started with that 12-4 date. That was a that was a December 4th date. That was a hard date that I set, and I started to work it back and figure out what I needed to do when. When do I need to reach out to influencers? All those things. So if you think about a product launch, yeah, I re I relearned how to launch a product. Mm. And I tried to do it from the aspect of more of a content marketing thing for longevity. I'm not I'm not thinking of, okay, on 12-4, I've got, okay, two months, we launch a book, and I got two months to sell as much as I can, and then I'll go launch another book. My whole idea behind this, Douglas, and I don't know if you hear this from other authors, but the way that I did it was book one's goal is book two. Mm. So that's what I was thinking of. And if I could get enough people interested in book one, I could make book two a success. And that's exa- that's a content marketing philosophy or mentality. When you create blog post one, you're really preparing them so that they'll still be reading blog post 100. Yes. And that's the thought. It also brings to mind you know, the purpose of the headline is to you know get some interest and in, in, in enough to get them to read the introduction. <laughs> and then... The introduction. You're just trying to trying to keep them going. They're not going to read it, but you're you're trying to bring them uh, along. That's right, and it's exactly the same thing. Purpose. I always said I grew up in the magazine business, so it's like, what's the purpose of a cover of a magazine to be flipped? Right. That's the that is absolutely the purpose. Right. right. So 
Joe, let's talk a little bit about one thing that I found very interesting, and it was at the beginning of the book, so it's not going to ruin it for the for the listener. The the protagonist, Pollitt, and his partner who have this marketing agency, they are invited to pitch a drink account. Can't remember is it sports drink or something like that? Yeah, it's a bit, the name is yeah, the name is Pop C, and uh-huh. basically they're a bev- beverage company that targets Generation Z, and they're launching a series of caffeinated popsicles. Okay, that, <laughs> which will be a thing, by the way. Oh, okay, and also uh, popsicles play a role at the end of the book, but I didn't spoil it. I didn't give anything away, but. I knew that I had a feeling Joe Polizzi might have written the book because at the very beginning you were talking about the approach the agency took versus the other slightly more traditional bigger agencies. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's uh, of course this this comes from my background and I believe it and and I wanted to show that uh, the main character had some marketing chops. So instead of the very traditional pitch that they were going against traditional agencies that basically were, they were saying, okay, we're going to partner with some influencers. We're going to buy a lot of 30 second spots and we're going to try to interrupt as many people as we can. In the pitch, they went in and said, well, let's not go and buy advertising. Let's go out and buy media sites. And they said, instead of going and interrupting the audience, let's just buy the audience. So they go and pitch a whole plan behind, um, here are the all the different websites, uh, let's say blog sites, uh, influencer sites, podcasts, where your customers are hanging out. And instead of just partnering with them and, uh, and buying an ad, let's just buy them. And so that's, that's what was their plan. And that's how it was different than, than anything else. And they were a little bit nervous going into that because they knew that pop C had never heard anything like this. Mm -hmm. But without giving too much away, it, it worked out well for them. It it did work out well, and uh, it's which by the way, I mean, let's let's get into the present day here. This is happening right now. This is not. I'm not creating things out of fiction in this case. This is something where you're seeing uh, companies like you know, Airbnb just bought Atlas Obscura. That that was just in the headlines. Uh, you've seen hardware companies that are buying magazines and blog sites, and this is this is starting to happen in the next five years. I believe will be a huge trend. It's just that a lot of people in traditional marketing don't see this. So that's where I'm like, if you're going to get in. If you're marketing and you're trying to get into a new market, the best thing to do is go buy a distressed media property. Yes. Now, was that in Killing Marketing where you talked about Arrow? Yes, absolutely. That okay. was Killing Marketing. We talked about Arrow Electronics, my one of my favorite case studies of all time. Arrow Electronics, which is a Fortune 250 company, $24 billion a year in revenue. Uh, they wanted to build the largest audience in the electronics engineering space. And they were like, well, how do we end up doing this? And what they decided to do was they went out and bought, I think it was 51 total properties from a, no- from a number of different media companies. And they bought all these websites and all these different content brands. And it's been going very, very well for them. So it's worked out. Yeah, that's great. And also brought to mind the, uh, the notion of rather than interrupting what people are interested in, we have to be what people are interested in. And that's exactly the strategy that uh, they were following in the in the, the book at the very beginning. Absolutely. So, Joe, it, Content Marketing World, the most recent one, uh, you gave a keynote, and it talked about what's working now for content marketing and what's going to work in 10 years for content marketing success. What prompted you to develop that particular keynote? Is it was it just things that you found yourself after that many years in content marketing realizing that they just weren't going to go away? Or was it things that 
are based on uh, maybe greater acceptance of, of content marketing by the, the business world? Well, a lot of it was, to be honest, frustration. Mm. Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, I've been around this industry since the beginning. The greatest group of people in the world are the people that are around the content marketing industry. I love them. But there's also a lot of things where they don't feel that they get enough respect in the organization. They get tired of executives in their organization killing their content marketing efforts. And as you know, I talked about in the presentation, content marketing programs don't fail because of lack of results. They fail because the executive team doesn't understand what they're doing Yes, with the yes. program. That's a very, very true. A lot of people don't realize that, but that's been my experience. So I really wanted to challenge. I, I, I didn't want these marketers to say, well, that's just the way it goes. The executive team wasn't on board and now I got to go look for something else. I just think that is an excuse that could have been prevented. And that's why I went in. And the first thing I said was, you you have to be selling your program internally first before you do anything else. Yes. Because you should be counting on the fact that your content marketing program is going to get cut because somebody is going to be holding the purse strings in your organization and won't understand the philosophy behind it. So you have to educate them ongoing. So I talked about the fact that, you know, you have to create your own internal content marketing effort. So these executives or whoever it is understand, especially financial and the accountants, understand what the heck you're doing because it takes time to build a content marketing program in excess of 12 months. And and you're not going to see results like you do, like they would think, oh, hey, six months, what am I seeing? Well, in six months, you're not going to see any results for content marketing. It takes at least 12. So I really just wanted to challenge them and shake them a little bit and say, look, you can control this, but your first content marketing plan and strategy should be internal and not external. Yes, there's a dirty little secret we share with our clients, which is your most important audience is your internal audience. <laughs> Right. And yes. you don't want to spend a lot of money on that in most instances, but you'd better be making sure that you're educating them and, and leading them. It's, it's leadership that you're needing to provide. And also, Joe, I hear a lot of folks say that too. They say, I just work for a company. They're old school. They just don't get it. That's a you problem. You know, either update your resume or do what I've seen a lot of really successful marketers do, lead your organization. They expect that. And there, there, there's case study after case study of, of marketers who are helping to lead their organization. That's why this talk I give sometimes, I say marketers have an image problem. And a lot of people think of them as arts and crafts party planners, but you need to get in the revenue camp and then tie a lot of what that activity or is the activity that you're doing to uh, revenue. And it's very surprising. You know, there was a study uh, by Foreign Aids Group a few years ago and uh, found that uh, only 20% of CEOs trusted their marketers in terms of they felt that marketers didn't understand the financial realities of their business. And that's, uh, that's pretty damning, but it's, uh, there's definitely ways, uh, ways around that. So one of your, in fact, your first law from that whole talk was uh, always be selling internally. Always be selling internally. Don't expect other people to understand it and to... Uh, appreciate necessarily what you're doing. There was another one you talked about, which was do one great thing, which is like establishing a beachhead instead of trying to do all things all at once. 
It's so true. And, and here's the, the I and I and I did show a little bit of frustration with some of the acclaimed content marketing projects out there. And I basically said they're going to fail because they're launching everything at the same time. They're launching, oh, we're gonna do podcasts, we're gonna do videos, we're gonna do blogs, we're gonna do magazines, it's gonna be great. We're gonna be on Instagram, we're gonna and then you see nine months later it gets killed because if you focus on all these things at one time, you are destined for mediocrity. So the, I talk about this thing called content energy and that I don't care how big your content de marketing department is, you only have so much energy to be great at one time. So I said, you need to pick one or two things. And I said, I think the trend for the very near future and maybe ongoing is instead of doing six, seven, eight different things, we focus on doing one or two things really, really well and start cutting things. So that's where my recommendation, I've been doing this, as you know, Douglas, for over 10 years, where I'll go into a company and do a content audit, and they'll say, okay, Joe, what should we do? What kind of new things should we do? I said, you shouldn't do anything new. You should start cutting stuff. Kill <sighs> that podcast. Kill that e-newsletter that nobody reads. Your social media is terrible. Do you even have a content plan? I don't know what you're doing with that event. You know, those types of things so that you can focus on really creating thoughtful communication to your customers on a consistent basis. That's really, really what we want. And it's very hard to do that in multiple channels at the same time. Mm. Funny story, Joe Polizzi. I was at Content Marketing World uh, a couple of years ago doing a workshop with Rebecca Geyer, author of Smart Marketing for Engineers. Yes. And it was for uh, manufacturers. And what we did was uh, she was interviewing some manufacturers up on the stage for one part. It was like a panel discussion. And I had the microphone and I was going through the audience. And rather than asking people to grab the mic and start asking questions, because as we both know, people start giving speeches or they haven't fully formed their ideas. I had orange index cards, orange, of course. Yeah. And for the Content Marketing Institute color and the Joe Polizzi color. You know, I don't sound creepy, Joe, but uh, you know, I, I almost want to say, what are you wearing? Because I have a feeling you're wearing something orange right now. I'm wearing a shirt that says, orange is the happiest color. There you I'm go. Really, I really am. It's, it's a sickness. It's, a sickness. <laughs> it's good. Don't change. So anyway, <laughs> one of the questions that came, and I have it in my hand right now, one of the people in the audience wrote the following question down, and they wanted this question answered, and it is, how and when do you decide to stop doing something? I thought that was a great question. That is a great question. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The answer to that is there's no exact way you can figure it out, but what happens most of the time is you never even get there because you've never given 100% of your resources to the thing that you're trying to do. Yes. So that they'll say, "Oh, when should we stop doing something?" And I look at, I had, I had somebody, I talked to somebody this morning about the same thing. They're like, "Well, maybe I should stop doing." They were doing a podcast, and I said, "Well, what are you doing?" And they started going, "Well, I said, is a weekly podcast, yeah, but you know, sometimes we get it, every, you know, put it out every other week. It's not consistent, and sometimes we can't find a guest. You know how hard it is to do this thing." And I'm like, "What? You haven't even started. You're talking about possibly stopping it, and you haven't started it." So I would say, "Well." If you're not going to commit to it, stop altogether because that's not going to work or just commit to it and do it the right way and get to, you know, give it the nine to 12 months it deserves. Yes. That brings to mind a statistic I've heard multiple places, and it may come from Libsyn, the podcast uh, serving company, that most podcasts never make it to episode eight. Oh, that's painful. Yeah. That is painful. I mean, and really, uh, I probably would say that when Robert and I started this old marketing podcast, it probably took us about 50 or 60 really to start building an audience. 
Mm. Um, so that's that was a year. That was you know nine nine ten months. Well, I was listening to the very first episode. Well, of course, and but I see, remember. I'm exact- sure you started. <laughs> I remember exactly where I was when I listened to that first episode too. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> But let me ask uh, just two other questions about this, uh, these seven laws. And we're going to include a link to a Content Marketing Institute post about this. But one of them is stay away from content campaigns. Explain yourself. Yes. I'm, easy. This, is, this one is super easy. Most people out there will call their content marketing program a content campaign. And when you say campaign, as you know from political campaigns, political campaigns, thankfully, always stop. <laughs> So do marketing campaigns always stop. When you say content campaign, that means you're creating content that will ultimately stop. And that's inherently wrong. When you're doing a content marketing program, it hopefully it will evolve. It will change, but it will never, ever stop. So that's the problem I have with the lexicon is if you call it a campaign, you're already basically endangering the project because you're saying it's going to stop. The only other thing I want to ask about was law number six. And I think found this very interesting, and I think it'd be very surprising for a lot of folks listening. Plan for the end of social. Oh, geez. We're seeing that right now. You know that. I mean, what we're seeing right now, so my prediction is the social media of tomorrow is going to be very different than what we see today. We're already losing our organic reach. We've been losing it for a long time. But now what we're seeing is platforms like Twitter are making decisions on you know, who should get promoted, who should not get promoted. And they're even making decisions on who should not even be on the platform at all. Uh, That's going to continue. At the same time, you have all these fake news problems. I don't know if you saw it, but, you know, Amazon's bookstore is having all kinds of problems uh, with fake news where they're taking books like, you know, Orwell's book and there's 30 different versions out there sold by 30 different publishers. And they're not even the original Orwell books. It's like fake news, but it's got Orwell as the author and Amazon's trying to deal with all this. You're, you're dealing with fake news. You're dealing with social media coming down on all these issues. You're dealing with all these privacy and data things that are going on. What social is going to be, it's going to be just for a limited group of people and limited group of influencers. And that means most of us will not be able to leverage that platform from a marketing standpoint, unless we're willing to pay money. Yeah. Organically will not happen. So we need to prepare right now that that's not going to be available to us. And we need to start building our own platforms like I talk about. And that means our e-newsletter platforms, our email, even print, believe it or not, our print subscriber programs are very, very important. So we have direct access to the consumer. Great. Thank you. And uh, Joe, normally at the end of these interviews, I ask questions like, what's one thing somebody could take away from the book? But we're going to skip all those because I have to ask a couple of Inside Baseball Content Marketing Institute kind of questions. All right. Will Pollitt, is he named after Chad Pollitt, author of the Content (laughs) Promotion Manifesto? No, he's not. I love Chad. And it it just happened that way. And I I realized it after the fact that, oh my God, Chad's going to, but it's it's maybe a cousin. Of Chad. Uh, okay, because I, yeah. I envisioned Chad Pollitt throughout the the whole audio experience. Oh, there you go. That's not was... a bad. That's not a bad person to think about. <laughs> okay. There you go. Okay. Next question. One of the clients at the pitch was named AJ. Was he named after our friend uh, from the Netherlands, AJ Hausman? Well, I have to tell you that it did come to mind because uh, I only know one AJ, and yeah. And it's AJ Oisman. So, so very, immediately very I thought, oh, I know what this guy looks like. It's it's AJ Hausman. And and I believe that AJ in in the book doesn't have hair, just like yes. our own AJ. So okay. There you go. 
<laughs> okay, and finally, there's one scene uh, which you call the man cave, where they go to a man cave at someone's home. It brought to mind Joe Kalinowski. Because he posts these things on social media. Live from the man cave. There's a little truth there. Absolutely. And I, by the way... He did the cover, didn't he? he? Joe Kalinowski did the cover. And he was very influential throughout the, the process of the book. So, absolutely. Well, terrific. Let me just ask one other question. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading now that you're uh, in post-writing mode? I got. I'm, I'm actually uh, waiting to read "Talking with Strangers" by Malcolm Gladwell. So mm-hmm. I'm, that's on my on my to read list. And I just finished, for all you science fiction folks, I just finished a book called "Recursion" by Blake Crouch. I can't recommend it highly enough. If you like science fiction, absolutely would read it. Oh, terrific! Well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to your your sites. Uh, and uh, your your book site, which is part of that larger site, your social media and your LinkedIn profile. And I, I seriously hope that folks will reach out to you in some way and thank you for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. There's 750,000 podcasts, folks, and Joe picked this one to come on. So also, if you're on Twitter or other social, use hashtag the will to die. Hashtag the will to die. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is The Will to Die. The author is Joe Polizzi. Joe, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Douglas, thank you, my friend. I'm looking forward to number five. And that closes the book on episode 262 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, David Merriman Scott's new marketing mastery course. Get $500 off with promo code marketing book when you check out at newmarketingmastery.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Rory Sutherland to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Alchemy, the dark art and curious science of creating magic in brands, business, and life. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. One quick question I had to, I wanted to ask you, did you go on that bucket list trip to Sicily with your dad? I did. Yes. You remember? Yeah, absolutely did. It was amazing. It was, it was everything I could have imagined because I only knew through my cousin here in America, got me in touch with one of my cousins in Milan and his family was in Sicily. So I only knew, I only had contact with my cousin in Milan. And when we showed up there, his whole family was there. And then the last night that we were there, we had more than 60 of our cousins. Wow. Unbelievable. 30 on my grandfather's side and 30 on my grandmother's side. And it's just one of the, I mean, oh, I can't man. even put it into words. How yeah. Amazing it was. Yeah. And so did you all speak Sicilian and, and English to each other or Italian? You know, I start, I don't speak. Uh, I picked up enough while I was there to uh-huh. sort of understand what people were saying. But my uh, Giacomo, Jack, my cousin, was with me almost the entire time. So he helped. Oh, okay. He was the only one really that spoke English. Okay. So wow. He, yeah. It was, wow. it was amazing. Now, yeah. it, it, what's funny, though, I was there for a week, and I really started to get the hang of it. I started to order restaurants, and 
but now I've forgotten it all. But you know, <laughs> that happens. You got to use it. You yeah. Gotta, you yeah. Lose it. 